Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. After months of wondering, were we going to have a 2021 college tennis season? Was there going to be a national indoor championship? We have our answer. It is a resounding yes. The men's Division I national indoor event taking place this weekend in Champaign. Eight of the top teams in the country, all in one location, competing for the right to be named national champion. What we're going to do on this podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the action we saw unfold last weekend, how that might preview what we're going to see happen in Champaign. We're also, of course, going to preview all of Friday's quarterfinal matches, offer our predictions for how we expect the weekend to unfold, and I'm sure there will be a few tangents mixed in as well. That's the goal for today's podcast. Joining me as they always do when we're talking college tennis here at Cracked Rackets, the two other members of our college tennis holy trinity let's start where we always start the former four-star recruit on tennisrecruiting.net your favorite writer on crackrackets.com and a man who was certainly sweating it out as his better half nick stokowiak and the baylor bears ended up knocking off a&m clinching their spot in the final eight it's matt the crack stokowiak maddie hey great shot how are you feeling headed into this weekend Excited, man. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Ready to listen uh, to you, of course, on the call. That should be fun. Obviously, super producer Daniel Westoff is going to do a great job. I think we got Mike Cation there as well. So uh, fun to listen to him and and uh, just looking forward to it, man. Obviously, this is, uh, you know, an event that we've we've been waiting for for quite some time. Didn't even know if we were going to get the chance to see national indoors this year. So um, just trying to take it all in stride. And I think we're going to have some really competitive tennis. Every single one of these matches uh, should be competitive and fun. So I'm ready, man. And we have the draws. We have the lineups. We know what's going to be happening. As you mentioned, listeners can end can follow with their eyes. They can tune in to the action happening in Champaign. I got the chance to broadcast the match yesterday there, Illinois-Wisconsin, a dry run just to make sure everything works. It does. It is going to be a fantastic weekend of action. They've got six cameras for all six courts, not just a play site camera. They've got the full deal, the professional camera set up. You're going to be able to see the scoreboard in the background on each and every court. They've got the red zone function, rocking and rolling. It should be a really fun bot broadcast. Unfortunately for me, I will not have my usual better half in the broadcast booth joining me, but of course, we can't do this podcast without him. You know him as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford. It's Chris Halliors. Chris, hey, great shot to you as always. You excited for this weekend's action? I am very excited for this week's action. Cannot wait. Uh, I mean, I'm just already trying to figure out how I avoid work on Friday and listen to <laughs> what you. What do you think is going to be more enjoyable, the competition happening on the court or the competition happening, uh, the competition happening in the booth between me and Mike? I mean, you know, I texted you as soon as you told me that you were going and said uh, they realize you're supposed to have a play-by-play and a color and not two of the same guys, <laughs> right? But, but yeah, I think. 
it, it'll be interesting to hear the two of you uh, get started and see, uh, you know, which one of you is wearing yeah. the pants. But yeah, <laughs> well, I think I'm definitely going to have to seed the pants. It is going to be fun. I'm just going to be in hot take mode. Michael steer us through the ones and twos. I'm just going to be like, yeah, Johannes Monday could be the best player in college by the end of this season. The freshman <laughs> is just sensational on court too. <laughs> the real yeah, exactly. I'll get to just be unfiltered, unedited. It'll be delightful. But no, of course, I appreciate both of you guys taking the chance uh taking the time to join me to preview the action i will miss you both in champagne nevertheless depending on the time the action ends depending on how much either of you is able to see if i can conjole either one of you into a recap at the end of each night for the mini break podcast we'll do that or maybe we'll do it in the morning if i cannot uh, obviously at the end of the event we will be back to recap it all and certainly as you both have mentioned we are expecting a really really fun week of tennis before a weekend of tennis before we get to the national indoor though we had a really fun week of men's action we had the Texas A&M Baylor final uh, qualifying match for the national indoors. We had a couple other battles across the nation as well. I promise this was going to be a recurring segment. I also need to fully admit I did not watch a single minute of men's college tennis this weekend as I was completely immersed in the women's national indoors. What a fantastic uh, event that was. And of course, if you guys have any thoughts, feel free to share them in Chris's corner. But with that in mind, Westoff, give me the sound effect. Chris, give me with the breakdown. You want a breakdown? <laughs> no, no, sorry. <laughs> just run me through some of the best ones. I mean, just run me through some. So, of the best yeah. Well, so there's some good, some good notable matches from the weekend. And I will say, first off, one of the most surprising things to see over the weekend was Texas Tech losing to both LSU and Tulsa. Um, I you know, I think they, they were even ranked coming in. So expected to see a little more. That was surprising. Pepperdine lost a couple matches. Another team that had been ranked, they made the trip to Arizona, lost to both Arizona State and Arizona. Uh, obviously, you know, we'll get to the big matches, uh, I'm sure. So I'll leave those out. A um, couple of the uh, couple of the ones that I like to, to look at, some of those mid-major type schools, Middle Tennessee and Rice with a really good match that came down to the wire in a 4-3 match. Um, Memphis trying to back up their win over Ole Miss going on the road at Mississippi State played a really tight match there ended up losing 4-2 but when they lost that clincher they were up a break already in the third on the last match so that that could have been uh, a down to the wire match and uh, William and Mary picking up a 4-3 win a really good win for them over East Tennessee an East Tennessee State school that is always good uh, with with a lot of the guys they bring in, uh, that was that was a really good win for for William and Mary, and they will be playing uh, at at Liberty this weekend at what <laughs> maybe if they get it opened in time, we'll see the debut of the new indoor facility at Liberty, where they've pumped all kinds of money into the athletics program. There, it's uh, set potentially to open, so that might be a, a big match there. And then Liberty as well, a 4-3 win over Charlotte that came down to a tiebreak on the last court on where uh, Vandy transfer Christian Worst clinched that match for, for them on a let court 6-5 in the breaker. 
I mean, how painful of a way to go down for Charlotte. Now, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you starting with all of those matches because we don't talk enough about. You know, we always talk about the top ten schools, but yeah, there's so much great college tennis happening across the country. How about Utah four three over SMU, Chris? That was another fun. Yeah, one. that was. You know, I had to le- I had to leave them out just because they are Pac twelve, right? But yeah, that was actually a big win for Utah coming off obviously SMU's uh, big win. You know, prior to that over Oklahoma. Yeah, but with that in mind, let's talk about some of the big results now. And, you know, Maddie, I know you were locked into this one from start to finish. Your Baylor Bears 4-1 victory over Texas A&M. Now, the most surprising part of this victory, and thankfully, and this is one of those times where I'm thankful I'm in a text chain with the two of you that features at least 15 texts per day. You guys were going off during this match, and so I did have a feel for what was happening, but Maddie, give us the breakdown of the doubles for AM to win and not steal the Thompson Aguilar spot at one doubles. That's particularly surprising to me on the surface. What actually happened? Yeah, well, it, basically everything I'm about to say here is all all what I've just by talking to the guys, right? We actually didn't have a live stream for this match. Uh, Chris and I were chomping at the bit. We wanted to see this thing bad, but all we had to go off of was live scoring. So it was a little bit hard to tell, but afterwards, obviously I was talking to a bunch of the guys and, you know, I kind of got the rundown on what happened in the dubs. You know, finally, Sven and Connie, uh, you know, were able to to turn their misfortunes around a little bit. They'd been struggling big time, but um, pulled out a good win, like you mentioned, over Thompson and Aguilar, who's, you know, very, very good doubles team, number one. So um, they're, I think, headed on the right track. At number two, I talked to Nick. Uh, tight match. Uh, Adrian Boyton was serving at 3-4 deuce. Popped in a great first serve, and Nick actually just chunked a volley at the net, one that he would almost never miss. Um, so he owned up to that. He, you know, he basically said that one was on me. I, I blew it for us there. Um, and then AM was able to hold out and win that match 6 3. So that one was, it was close. It really came down to one point, um, a deuce point serving uh, at 3 4, and that was it. Really, the court. That was probably the most, you know, interesting was court three. Um, obviously, Charlie Broom and Matias Soto were taking on Bashiro and Pierce Rollins. And back and forth match, you know, they go to a tiebreaker. Broom and Soto are up 5-2 in the tiebreaker. And you're thinking, okay, there's no way they're going to drop this, right? I mean, just a couple points away. And Vashiro and Rollins come back and win like five on the trot to take the breaker seven, five, win the dubs point, just, just a killer there. I mean, just a huge swing of momentum for the Aggies. And I, you know, at that point I was like, well, damn, I mean, what's going to happen here in singles. It's not good. So pretty interesting dubs point. Um, Obviously wish we could have seen it, but it really just came down to a couple points, I think, and that was the difference. I love how you describe Nick Chunks of Ali. Like, if that's the feedback he's getting from you, that's why he's succeeded as a player. Because if that, you know, what I was telling my little brother, I'm like, your footwork is off. If I would have just been like, Nick, you chunk that one, he'd be like, thank you. Yeah, like, no, that, that was yeah. it. Just own it, man. I mean, sometimes you just screw up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is what it is. He's, he's usually nails at the net. He told me, he's like, Matt. 
Dude, I look, yeah. right? it, it is what it is. You know, sometimes it happens, but uh, I, I don't know if that'll be happening again. I think uh, I think he'll be all right. So, yeah, that's what happened. It was tight. So, as I think both of you know, I have a little brother named Nick as well, and I'm going to see your brother, Matt, Nick Stokowiak, this weekend in Champaign, and I'm going to see his face. I'm going to yep. go, Nicky, my brother, what's up? And I just, that might be actually one of the things I'm looking most forward to this weekend is general, just saying what up to him. And everyone's going to be like, do you guys know each other? Be like, yeah, that's my family. Like, come on you don't realize that like you don't see the resemblance we both have a uh, decrepit hairlines uh but no <laughs> sorry i just that one was i, I love all koax equally anyways um yeah i mean so you know a&m they get the win in doubles then you get to the breakdown of singles this is where you know i think this match was was it as close as we expected? I don't know. Chris, again, I did not get the chance to follow, you know, the rhythm of the first sets, how they ended. Was there ever a moment in this match where it felt like, oh, man, like A&M's probably going to win? Or was Baylor pretty much in control of the singles? I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say pretty much in control, but they definitely got out to a really fast start in singles and looked, to, you know, looked to have turned it around. And I don't think I ever thought, oh, wow, a&M's going to win, but they did manage to get it, you know, very, very tight. It, it actually looked like uh, Baylor's got this locked up when they kind of, you know, blew through those first sets. Uh, but then as, as A&M managed to start turning things around, you got, I, you never got to where you said, oh man, A&M's going to win, but you got to, holy cow, this is going to come down. And I'm texting Maddie going, it's coming down to your brother, man. It's coming down to your brother. And then, you know, had it not been, you know, it, I think it was very reminiscent, Gruskin, of watching the Aguilar-Styler match last year at Indoors. I felt like if we were there, it would have been the same thing because Aguilar, I don't know, what was he, Nick? Five, two? Five, I mean, four. he was up double break. Four love, actually, right? Four up. Uh, four up. Yep. Four, yeah, he was up four love, double break, and man, and managed to give them both back and lose it seven five. But had he closed that out, we're looking at a three-all match down to down to Nick, which is kind of where I thought we were going to be. And at that point, now you're going, man, it's you know game on. It's anybody's match. But you never got, you never quite got to the point where you said, oh, A and M's in the lead. It looks like they might win. They couldn't quite get over that hump. Maddie, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, again, those first sets really the the difference was Baylor came out in those first sets when you stamp five of those things on the board. I mean, that's exactly the response that you need after losing that doubles point. I didn't know what we were going to see, but kind of when I saw that, and there were some epic tiebreakers, guys. I mean, courts two, three, and four were in unbelievable tiebreakers in the first set. I mean, Matias and Habib, right? You're looking at a 12-10 breaker. Nick and Schachter, 13-11 in the breaker, just absolutely epic tiebreakers. But the fact that Baylor won five first sets, I mean, that right there was just like, okay, they're in this, they showed up, you know, they're not backing down. Um, and again, when you can get off the court quickly, like five and six did, you know, again, that depth was super important on courts five and six. And I think immediately after Spencer Furman and Charlie Broom put those points on the board, it was like, okay, Baylor's back in business. Yeah, uh, again. Uh, you look for the Bears, and I had the chance to chat with Coach Woodson. I think 
the thing you're most excited about for Baylor is how battle-tested they are heading into this national indoors. They've suffered a loss to yeah. TCU, but they, you know, played, you know, bounced back. That was after they had played Texas, so they understand the rhythm of playing two tough matches back-to-back. They got another good match here this weekend against A&M, a good match that first weekend against Michigan. This team has played the toughest schedule of any team across the country, certainly of any team heading into this national indoors. So again, that's another takeaway for me. But yes, at, to your point, uh, ultimately Baylor uh, ends up winning this one for one. They get the wins at two uh, from Soto, three from Sven La, five from Charlie Broom, six from Spencer Furman. And of course, that's going to be the recipe for uh, Coach Woodson all season long. Get the wins at the bottom of the lineup. Doubles, honestly, a luxury for the Bears at this point, although they they have continued to struggle and given the talent it's just something to note also heading into this national indoors you talk about some of the other big results I know Chris uh you were leaving this one for me by the way I think Baylor beat Oklahoma 4-1 also last weekend just worth noting for the Bears to go full circle but the other big one in ACC battle and the battle for Barbotzer's heart and as we learned Virginia won for the battle of Barbotzer twice this weekend, Virginia 5-2 over Wake Forest. Uh, they end up dropping the doubles point, surprising, but then getting wins at the number 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 position. The only match going three sets, that number 1 match between Soderlin and Squire. Uh, of course, I want to hear both of your reaction on the bo- reactions to the Botzer news as well. Maddie, let's start with you. You're our ACC correspondent. Do we have a power shift on our hands in the conference? Uh, well, I mean, look, North Carolina is always going to be a contender, but, but look, I think Virginia, I think this is definitely going to be a bit of a switch. You know, they're going to be up there now uh, for the next several years. I mean, you look half their lineups, freshmen, right? Obviously they're, they're, you know, have already kind of proven that they can play at this level. You go into Ohio state, qualify for indoors. We'll see what they do this weekend. I think it's going to be interesting, you know, to watch Virginia play this weekend at Illinois. Uh, but yeah, you had a guy like Barbotzer who can come in and play at the top of the lineup. And, and that's just, I mean, that is huge for that team. I was not expecting that. Uh, would love to see Coach Bresky's reaction and, and kind of see how he's feeling about that situation. But I'll tell you what, guys, um, as soon as Wake and Virginia match up next year, I want to be there because I want to watch that so badly. I cannot wait for that match. But yeah, no, for UVA, I mean, I think I think the Who's now over the next you know two three years, um, they've kind of got a team here that they're young, they're building. I I like what's going on in Charlottesville. I do. Yeah, Chris, uh, I want to get your reaction quickly, just to note for Virginia, uh, it was Inaki Montez playing two for them in this match. He wins one and six over Taha Body Gets three and six victory over Eduardo Nava. Worth noting though, Gets is going to be playing four singles this weekend as Von der Schulenberg, four and two over Sid Banthia. He's going to be playing the three position. If you're Virginia, you know, for a lot of us, and you look at the UTR for Virginia, we figured, you know, maybe the freshman for them who's going to be contributing, it's going to be Von der Schulenberg, probably Montas, but, you know, the other one that we all had circled as a potential contributor was Alex Kiefer, and it hasn't been him. It's been Chris Rodesh, who's going to be lining up at the number five position. Rodesh here, uh, a two and three win indoors over Maciag. Chris, your reaction to the Botzer news, and again, this result here for Virginia. Yeah, not overly surprised with the Botzer news, right? I mean, we, I don't even know how much we talked on air versus off, but we, we knew, uh, you know, like you really want to see out of these guys that probably, you know, 
aren't looking to be top 100 in the world pros, right? He's looking to set up the next stage of his life and wanted a good school to get a, a, a business degree or whatnot. And UVA's got a good one. So, I mean, it made sense other than the fact that from a tennis per standpoint, you look at it and go, oh, wow, going to the one of the rivals. That's, that's you know, heartbreaking. But I mean, for for all other reasons in his life, it's a it was a good deal. So not not overly surprised, but yes, it's going to make that that first match next year very interesting. And yeah, you got to love the team that Pedrosa is putting together now for you know certainly the next two years with these freshmen that he's got. Uh, now that you add Barbatzer to the mix, are going I mean, just just tremendous. And that's before we even see what else he might bring in. Can I just say, never a doubt. Never had a doubt. You can point to me. Oh, they didn't have Weirsholm that you know that first season, and they were so bad. <laughs> That's what I have to say to you. We're back, baby. Go who's. We're back, and I do want to say on a more serious note, and we refer to it all the time. Barbotzer, obviously, someone I text with and consider at this point. It's tough to say friend because we've only like seen each other in person three times, but certainly an acquaintance. And to your point, Chris, and I want to harp on it. Barbotzer is twenty six years old. He's not concerned with winning a national championship. He's concerned with his future. I think it's safe to say he understands pro tennis, even if he does play it for a hot second. That is not the long-term career for him. And so, you know, I I can report this with 100% accuracy. He got into the Virginia NBA. And I can't, you know, I, this requires more research. I'm sure you can count on your hands the amount of all Americans who are concurrently MBA students, right? Like that, we've seen a lot of all Americans who are smart in a lot of sports. A lot of all Americans go on to be doctors, lawyers, and various leaders in their professions. But it's rare that you see a grad school student playing number one singles or being an All-American on a contributor to a national championship to the level that Barbotzer will be. And I just think we should all take a moment to think about how special that opportunity is. And again, to Chris's point, he's thinking about his long-term future. So you can understand that decision and why he made it to this Virginia result. It's real. That's what this win shows me. A few weeks later, the Columbus win has set in. You've had two weeks to think all about, you know, let your ego inflate. And Coach Pedroso, you know, I think he's probably a little bit happy that they dropped that doubles point, that they dropped two tiebreakers at two and three, because then he can say, look, you're not that good. Like, go out there and prove it again. Like, we have a lot of talent, but we still have to prove ourselves. And, of course, that's why I'm so fascinated to see them competing this weekend against some of the best in the country. Some of the other results I want to blitz through real quickly. TCU almost lost this weekend, it sounds like, uh, to the University of Mississippi. Ultimately, 4-3 win for the Horned Frogs. They take doubles, and then they get wins at 1-2-6. and six. Chris's boy, Juan Martin, at number 6, so I hear him smiling uh, between his teeth. The other result, NC State, 4-0 victory for them over Tennessee. That, or, excuse me, Tennessee, 4-0 victory over NC State. That's 2-4 the Volunteers over the Wolfpack here early in the season. We also had Kentucky, 4-3 win over Duke. Pepper, uh, Arizona, 5-2 win over Pepperdine. Some good matches littered throughout the country before we move on to the National Indoor Preview. Matt, then Chris, your thoughts on the rest of the action. Yeah, no, I think uh, 
Look, Tennessee, when we did our, our top 10 rankings the last time, I, I know you guys had them in there, I think. Um, and ultimately for, uh, you know, our combined rankings, we had Tennessee in there. But yeah, I mean, Tennessee is legit, guys. I mean, I'm starting to come around, you know, they blitz, absolutely just destroyed Duke and NC State this weekend or this past weekend. Um, they've got depth. They've got talent. I mean, they play pretty good dubs. They're they're a really good team. Um, so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and we'll get into this in a second, you know, that they drew North Carolina in the national indoors, but I think they can put a scare into almost every other team that's going to be there this weekend. And if, if Tennessee goes two and one, I mean, I wouldn't be that shocked. I think that they have that ability. So yeah, Tennessee stood out to me for sure. I had a really interesting conversation with a coach who can remain uh, remain nameless talking about the seeds for this weekend, and uh, they made a really interesting case for Tennessee. I agree with you. It's a veteran team that also has some room to get better at positions throughout the course of the year. That We've talked about them before on the podcast. They are going to be interesting to monitor uh, for sure. Chris, your thoughts yeah i mean i'll echo maddie's thoughts i mean we i knew we knew they were good the addition of of getting pat harper back for them is huge you know i can't argue the seedings the way they are personally i do have them above virginia and part of that is still yeah you talked about virginia and and that win over wake but you know still in the wake match no Tachi, no Maroney, no Ifstathiu. Obviously, Batra isn't even playing anymore. So, yeah, still a good win, but did it, you know, was it another Ohio State caliber win? No. So I, I want to see it. On, that's what makes me so excited for this TCU match because do I think they can beat TCU? Yes. I mean, that that's possible. And that's what you want to see is how are they going to stack up with, with TCU now? But – had I been seeding them, yeah, I would have given Tennessee the nod. And and like Maddie said, it's at least in our estimation that two that that two versus seven match with North Carolina at two. That's the one seed you wanted to avoid. You'd rather be eight than seven. You'd rather be six than seven. Uh, but but yeah, that's a rough draw for Tennessee. Uh, but even if they don't manage to pull the upset uh, over North Carolina, right now, then they're going to get. Uh, I would assume. The back draw looks just like the, you know, the losers play each other. So then they get either TCU or Virginia, another great test. So they're getting two good matches right out of the gate. Yeah. It, again, that feels like a perfect segue to get to our conversation at the National Indoors. I will quickly throw in shout out as always to my team of the week, Montana State University in Bozeman. 4-3 win for them. Big win over Idaho State. It's not every day, guys. You win the doubles point. You find yourself down in some singles, and you get a 7-6 in the third win from Alexander Petrovich to clinch the match. That's exactly what happened for my boys at Montana State, so shout out uh, to them. But with that in mind, let's get into our preview of this weekend's action, and let's start with a conversation on how the seeds broke down. As you mentioned, Chris, uh, top four seeds look exactly as we expect them to look. It's going to be number one seeded defending champs, USC. They've earned the right to be that number one seed until someone takes it from them. Number two, the defending finalist, UNC. Number three, had to be TCU considering they beat number four seeded Baylor uh, in their head-to-head already this season. Your number five seed uh, is going to be the University of Texas. Six seed Virginia, seven seed Tennessee, and then the eight seed, your host Illinois. Uh, I'll start with you, Maddie. Did they get the seeds correct? 
Yeah, I, I think they did. I didn't have any problem with the seeds. I mean, top four is exactly what we thought, you know, they would be. So that's perfectly fine. The only thing that I thought, obviously we knew Illinois was going to be eight. I did, unlike Chris, I had a very strong feeling Tennessee was going to come in at number seven, no matter what, whether they should be or not, that's a different conversation. I just knew they were going to be there at number seven. What I was thinking was, are they going to potentially flip Texas and Virginia and would they bump UVA up to that number five spot with their win over Wake Forest and kind of bump Texas back to six that didn't happen that's okay um, the way that this kind of broke down seemed perfectly fine to me I really don't have any problems with it Chris yeah I mean I again I don't I have no complaints with the seedings it's not the way I would have seeded in fact five six seven I would have flipped you know if it were me I would have, you know, right. I would have had Tennessee, Virginia, Texas. I would have put Texas in the seventh spot, but I can't complain. You know, we knew that wasn't going to happen just based on the way the ITA rankings were coming in. And like Maddie said, the really the only question was, was that win for Virginia enough to even get them above, uh, uh, above Texas. But there was no doubt in all likelihood that Tennessee was going to still end up as the number seven seed, but no, no complaints with the seedings. I mean, anybody that wants to win, when you've only got eight teams there and you want to win, you're going to have to beat everybody anyway, so it doesn't really matter who you play first. Yeah, when I mentioned Tennessee earlier, it was a conversation about them. They were the most interesting team. How valuable are those wins at NC State this early in the season considering where the Wolfpack were ranked? And, of course, for Tennessee, they're 8-0. They got the win over Oklahoma, win over Ole Miss, win over Duke, win over Notre Dame. They've had some impressive win again in terms of judging the slate of the eight matches. They're eight, you know, I think seven of the eight are pretty or six of the eight, I suppose, are real wins. Tennessee Tech, East Tennessee State, with all due respect, uh, compared to some of the power wins, fine. But yeah, I mean, considering Virginia beat Ohio State at Ohio State, considering Texas played Baylor close and beat Florida at home. They got the groupings right. You know, it was always top four, and that order was always clear as well. It was always, you know, Illinois is going to be eight, and then the middle three, throw it at a dartboard. Wherever it sticks, it sort of sticks, and you're going to be fine with it. Of course, it makes the backdraw matches that more, much more interesting. It makes figuring out the all-tournament team down the road a little bit more interesting, but I agree with you guys. Think they got the seeding correct, and with that in mind, let's get into our preview of these quarterfinal matches. We're going to go chronologically with... With the order you're going to see them uh, played on Friday, that means we start with, I think objectively, the most interesting match on the day. UVA may have the win of the year, considering they're only the second team since, what, 2005 to win a match in Columbus. They go to Ohio State on the kickoff weekend. They beat uh, the Buckeyes there, obviously, uh, to win that match in general is impressive, but to win it in the fashion they did, taking the doubles point, knocking them off for 2 uh, UVA comes in with momentum, but probably the single best win on the season may also, or excuse me, maybe the second best. You put it 1A, 1B belongs to TCU who went to Baylor, knocked off the Bears, TCU 6-0 and on the season, wins over Tulsa, Denver, Oklahoma, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and then Baylor. Uh, this is a team with depth, with experience, and a team we saw get hot at the National Indoors last season. We'll get into the UTRs, the lineups, uh, obviously throughout the course of this match. Maddie, I just want to start with you. 
when you head into when you're thinking about this TCU Virginia battle, what do you think are you know the key the key factors for both teams? Yeah, this one, guys, I think could be super close. I mean, I think we could have this could be a four three. Honestly, when I look at it, I could easily see like a split of the singles and that doubles point really deciding this match. Um, it's going to be close. The way that TCU played against Baylor, they went into Waco and, and they were on a mission, guys. I mean, they were playing so, so good. Alistair Gray, Luke Famba, they were unbelievable in Waco. They haven't quite played to that level. You know, they went to Mississippi State. They were good, not great. They go to Ole Miss. They're good, not great. Which TCU shows up, right? Is it the TCU that showed up at Baylor? Because if that's the case, they'll win. If it's not, if it's the TCU that we get against Ole Miss, I think Virginia's going to take it. Um, I really do. I just, I think those young guys are going to be playing well. And and again, when you have a guy leading the way like Carl Soderlund, um, I, I really like that for the who's. So, you know, I'm looking at these matchups and I say, okay, right. If I have to pick an upset somewhere, if I'm going to pick one of the top four seeds to lose, I think this is the one that I'm leaning. Yeah, I, I think that's a good take. And Look, the doubles lineup are always subject to change at the last second, so we can leave those aside for a moment, barring any positive tests for COVID. And, of course, we will pray that there will be none of them. We were fortunate enough to get to play the women's event from start to finish without any big withdrawals. So hopefully we can see – oh, minus Oklahoma State, I suppose. But hopefully we will see a similar scenario happen here at the men's event. You look at the Power 6 UTRs for these teams who's projected to start. Essentially, it's scratch. I mean – TCU in 80.03, Virginia a 79.78. Now you look at the spots where teams are favorite. Uh, Paralek, Fernley, who are listed at 5 and 6 for TCU, a .57 favorite over Chris Rodesh at 5, a .37 favorite over Gianni Ross at 6. Uh, of course, for the Who's, two, three, and four positions. You've got Montez, .31 favorite, I should say, at 2. Getz, .33 favorite at 4. Two essential toss-ups in the lineup, Gray Soderlin, 0.04 different, Jong von der Schulenberg, 0.09 different. Toss-ups up and down the lineup. So, Professor, when you start to look at the match calculus, educate us, please. Well, I tell you, I don't I don't like the matchups for TCU. I'll be honest. Um, I think it sets up well for for Virginia to pull off what, what we would consider to be the upset, right? Um, I kind of would have liked had TCU left it Famba Gray, I don't think anybody's beating Soderlin. Uh, I don't whether it's Gray or Famba. Um, and I think taking on Montez, Gray would have been the much better, sure point, if you will, uh, than Famba is. So so I think I think that makes it a little iffy for them. Um, you you gotta like you gotta like Soderlund at one. I'll still lean Famba. At, at two, I've seen, I mean, Montez can battle. I don't know how he's going to handle that Famba game. So who knows, but may, maybe you lean indoors to be in, that's a Famba kind of match. But, uh, but yeah, that middle of the lineup, I still, in some of those spots, like Von der Schulenberg and John, well, that's just going to be, that's going to be a great battle. I mean, to me, that could be the swing match. I think we see a lot of, we see a lot of just splitting right down the lineup and between doubles and that Jong match. Uh, with von der, von der Schulenberg, I think those, to me, those end up being the key matches that 
and I hate to say it this way, but I think TCU needs to be the one that comes away with those, or Virginia's probably going to take that match. No, it toss-ups up and down the lineup for sure. And again, you start to look at the doubles pairings proposed for these teams for TCU. Uh, Famba Gray have been 7-1 and one, uh, thus far this season. Jong Paralek, 4-2. and two. Kruger and Martin, 2-1. and one. Of course, you look for Virginia. Uh, Soderlin and Lord have yet to play a match together. They're slated at the number one position. Getz, Rodesh, 2-2. Two and two. Montez, Ross haven't played together. It's usually been Montez and Von der Schulenberg playing together you imagine that's the lineup we're going to see at number three for the who's as well maddie how important is doubles to this matchup and then ultimately give me your match calculus yeah i think it's extremely important i mean uh when i look at it i almost want to lean a little bit towards tcu just because of the continuity like those pairings have played a little bit more however you know, again, Carl Soderlund and Matt Lord have played together plenty of time. I mean, for the past couple of years. So that's not a new pairing, right? They just haven't played so far this year. Oh, man. It's just, it's hard to call. I, I think it really is a toss up in doubles. Um, you know, but right now, and again, I apologize to Coach Rodidi in advance. I do this every single year, guys. Look, <laughs> no. but for, for Frog fans, <laughs> Look, this is this is a good thing. So everybody for TCU, hear me out here. I always pick against you guys, and then it backfires, right? So you you know the frogs are probably going to win this match. I'm going to take Virginia to win this match four to three. I say they split the singles, and I do think Virginia will squeak out a pretty close doubles point. And I think that's going to be the difference. So um, I'm picking Virginia. I'll go with the Who's. I'm sorry, uh, but that actually means that TCU is going to win. <laughs> yeah, somewhere Coach Rodini just fist pumped. He's like, "Let's go!" Like, I good, know, good. I know. When I see him, the next time I see him, I will personally apologize uh... for picking against his team so much. I-, I know he hates me. He has every right to hate me. I will apologize when I see him, Coach Rodini. If you're listening to this. I do apologize. (laughs) On behalf of him, he just took off his hat and gave you a little bow. Uh, But he also took off his hat so you could see the Illinois logo in the background. Um, But, yeah, that's sorry. That joke was, again, a deep cut just for Chris. I told a joke before we started the podcast that was just for Chris. Literally a joke for one person, and he laughed at it. So that was a a big boost for us. Well, you stole stole mine, Alex, because it was going to be a joke for one person that's not on this, and it was going to be – if TCU wins, where's he going to flex in front of since he's not at Virginia? <laughs> He'll ask Andres to come in the video. Um, <laughs> Coach, you know we're just saying this in good fun. You know, obviously, we are a fan of everything you guys do. But, Chris, again, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, we've run through the metrics. It's early in the season. They both have great wins. They're both clearly capable teams indoors as you know at this point of the year who you got and why I mean it's very close to a toss-up match for me and we all know that anytime a match comes to a toss-up I'm anti-Gruskin so this has nothing to do with you coach (laughs) Pedroso but I'm anti-Gruskin so I'm taking TCU (laughs) the amount of things I get branded as like a bias towards I'm like I gotta keep track of all of these different things I am gonna be rocking the Caltech Beavers nowadays so I'm like I'm actually pro go you know go Caltech but 
Yeah, no, I, I think the matches that I thought were key, I, I think TCU will find a way. I think they'll find a way to grab that doubles point, although I won't be shocked if they don't. Um, and I think they'll get that that Jong match. I do think they'll probably split uh, one and two. And if they get the doubles, they split one and two and they get San- Sander. Now they've just got to get one of those bottom three. I think they do. I think they win the match at six. Uh, so I, I like that. And then even if they don't, I like them to split one and two, get three, get six, and then they're going to have to get one of four or five, and one of the checks will still win a match there. So I, I, I'm still going to stick with TCU. No, it's a good pick. And look, I in a match like this, when it's so hard to find four points in singles for either team, you lean to who do you like more in doubles? And I have to say, I slightly, as Maddie mentioned, like the continuity of TCU more in doubles. Famba and Gray at one are really freaking good. And Sander Jung might be, you know, they call him, what, what, I forget the nickname, but uh, he is that the landlord. Uh, the landlord. Yeah, because he takes scalps at this point. He charges rent. You're on the court with him. You better pay up. And, you know, we're going to give our predictions for the uh, for our all-tournament teams at the end of this podcast. At the number three singles position, I have it down to three guys. One person plus either Vonder Schulenberg or Sander Jung. And I really really think that's where this match comes down to because Sander Jong has been so good for TCU. But Vander Schulenberg has been exceptional as a freshman. I think he's 5-0 and thus far, 4-0 uh, overall uh, at the number three position. He got the win over Trotter in Columbus. <sighs> my mind's telling me no. But my, uh, it's so... I mean, my every instinct says TCU is going to win this match. Like, I, my brain tells me TCU. The metrics tell me TCU. They went and beat Baylor at freaking Baylor. They survived this weekend. They're battle-tested. They're veterans. I can't pick against – if I pick against – I can't pick against Virginia. Give me the who's. Come on. Come on. God. Come on. I, I agree. Hey, Gruskin, I agree. Look, I think Vonder Schulenberg is going to get that win at yeah. number three. That's, this, that's the swing match. That's literally the one for me. And so I will take Virginia, but it's not going to surprise me at all if TCU ends up winning the match. There's the backdoor hedge for pick number one. Pick number two, I don't think it's going to require a backdoor hedge. I'm sure we are all going to feel pretty similarly about this team. Number one in our Cracked Rackets poll. Number two in the ITA poll defending finalists last year, but they really blitzed their way to the national indoor final. Of course, we're talking about North Carolina, who takes on a Tennessee team who I think has played the most matches in the country or right around it at 8-0. And, you know, I already gave the resume. They've beaten Ole Miss, beaten NC State twice, win over Duke, win over Notre Dame. You look overall, I think they've dropped like five total flights in their eight matches. It's a veteran-laced team. It's a team that's really good at doubles. And more importantly, and this is in you know a non-quantifiable sort of uh, adjective to describe them, but they know who they are. They know what they have to do. They know what to expect out of each and every position. They've got Adam Walton at the top who's going to compete with everyone. They've got Johannes Monday, the talented freshman you always want when you're profiling a team at that number two position. They've got a rock in their lineup in Luca Wiedemann at the number five position who probably a lock in that all-tournament team as well. And, you know, Harper, Wiedemann, Hussey, 4-5-6, they've all been really, really good this season, 
And if we know anything about UNC, it's, yeah, you look thus far on the season, they haven't dropped a match. They're 3-0. and They got their wins over Northwestern, South Carolina, and Virginia Tech. But that Virginia Tech match got tricky for them. And no, they haven't played a match with Rinki Hijikata yet. But early in the season, we said you're going to have to win somehow doubles you're going to have to win five and six against the uh, Tar Heels if you're going to want to beat them and then steal one at the top. We'll start with you, Chris, since you're rocking the backwards volunteer hat. Does Tennessee have the talent to pull off that upset script, the continuity in doubles, the strength at the bottom of the lineup to potentially steal one from the Tar Heels? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to call it, but (laughs) if you're asking, is is it possible? Yeah, that, I mean... You're more so than last that... year, I feel like, right? What was that? More so than last year, right? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're they're deeper now. Uh, I mean, and they, they're playing guys down there with Wiedemann at five and and Pat Harper at six. You've got two really good shots that you're going to stack up well against anybody at those spots. So uh, if if you're looking for are there do they have strength where we see potential weakness in North Carolina? Yeah. Now, North Carolina is obviously really good in doubles. Tennessee's not bad in doubles. So, and anything can happen there. So, yeah, if they can manage to steal the doubles point, could they get five, six and find another one? Absolutely, they can. Yeah. I mean, Maddie, when you look at the lineup, I see you shaking your head now. You, I imagine, disagree. I do disagree. Yep. I don't think they have a chance to win doubles. And I think one through four, there's just, there's such a big talent disparity. Come on guys. Let's, I mean, let's be real here. One through four. That's, I mean, that is a major, major advantage to North Carolina. I think five and six, I do agree with Chris. I think at five and six, absolutely. I wouldn't be shocked if they picked up wins at five and six, but that is it. I do not see them winning one through four and I do not see them winning doubles um, you know, I think that would be it. At, at worst, it would be a 4-2 result, I think, if Tennessee could win 5-6. and six. I'll leave it at that. Oh, beyond this match, Maddie, when you look at this Tennessee team, do you expect— I mean, I guess we all are expecting uh, Illinois probably to get triple-crowned, but is this a team you could see— you know, going two and one potentially on the weekend. Yeah, they dropped this one, but compared to the other five through eight teams, they could go two and one. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I totally believe that. We're talking North Carolina here, right? I mean, this yeah, is the matchup course. that. Yeah, so that's the number one team in the country, in my opinion. I have North Carolina as as the best team in the country. Um, so I'm talking specifically about that matchup. Other than them. Yeah, no, I mean, I still think Tennessee has a good chance to beat almost anybody else in the field. I could easily see them going 2-1. and one. That would not shock me at all, but they won't beat North Carolina. That's what I wanted to make sure. It was more a North Carolina-centric pick than anything else. Yeah, 100%. Okay, that's what I figured. And yeah, to your point, you, we all have made quite clear our feelings. On Will Blumberg, you get Rinky Hijikata back, who I've heard nothing but good things about from people in Chapel Hill, and Ben Seguin still at the top of the lineup. Brian Cernock does seem to have taken a jump this year. He's been really good for them at the number three position when they've needed him. You look overall at his record thus far on the year. Cernock, uh, 3-0 and at that number three position. He's going to have the luxury now of sliding down to number four. Now, of course, Peck, Sondergaard, Kiger, Zapp, uh, Adam Neff, what exactly they want to do with those five and six positions still a little bit up in the air you imagine peck slides in there but what's number six still unclear 
I mean, we can go through this quickly for a prediction if you want to uh, now, and I'm sure we will get back to them later on so we can move on from this match. Chris, match calculus for this one, and then to the point Maddie and I just made, your thoughts on how Tennessee competes this weekend. Yeah, I think, I mean, the only way, and I'm with Maddie, I don't think it's likely at all because the only way I see Tennessee having a shot here is is to steal doubles, to win five and six, and then you got to find one at the top. And honestly, I don't know how you beat any of those top three. Maybe Cernock at four, but even at that, you know, I'm with Maddie there. So yeah, I think it's probably, you know, the more likely scenario is Carolina wins doubles. Maybe Tennessee gets one of the five and six matches, maybe both, but it's probably a four, one, four, two match for North Carolina. But, but as for your question oh, is how they sorry. compete the rest of the weekend. Absolutely. They have, they have a chance to go two and one, but they're in that rough bottom half. So assuming that losers get losers and that they do lose to North Carolina, they would get the loser of that TCU Virginia match. And so that would be by far the most interesting second day backdraw match to me um, over the, you know, presumably Illinois versus say Texas, assuming that we, you know, we're all going to pick those two teams to lose up top. Um <laughs> I, that's a great match, Tennessee and the and the loser of that TCU Virginia match. But they Tennessee can abs can absolutely win that match and then the next one and go two and one. Great match is a litmus test as well. Given Tennessee's battled NC State twice, it will be good to see how Virginia competes against them. Maddie, same deal. Give me your prediction here over this one. Yeah, no, I'll go four one uh, for UNC. I think you know Tennessee gets either five or six. The other one probably goes unfinished. Uh, I I. I don't want to call it 4-2. I'll, I'll say 4-1. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm going to go 4-0. Give me UNC yeah. and Dubs. Give me Blumberg. Give me Hijikata. Give me Cernok first three off the board. I think Prada. I think, you know, Wiedemann and Peck. I think that match is close. I think all of these matches can be close. I just think the Tar Heels in the end flex their muscles here for the first time. Show off again. Rinky making his return. That's match number two on the day. Match number three, a rematch. The only match we have already seen being played on Friday in 2021. Of course, that is a Big 12 battle between the Baylor Bears and the Texas Longhorns. You look at when they play Played. I think that was back at the end of January. Maybe it was early in February. Dates are irrelevant at this point. January 30th, it was the Bears taking a 4-1 decision. Now, a common theme here. Texas takes doubles from Baylor. On this occasion, they get wins at the number one and two position for Texas. They also won first sets at number one singles, number three singles. They won the second set at number five singles. They put a scare, uh, certainly, in into the Baylor Bears, but Baylor getting wins at two, four, five, and six, the recipe that just seems to be their cheat code, get out of jail free card. Uh, they win for one. Start with you, Maddie. This is your squad. It's a Big 12 battle. Always tough to beat a team twice in a row, and this is the first of three, maybe four matchups between these teams left on the year. Your thoughts heading into this one? Yeah, I mean, if if Texas wants to call it a revenge match or whatever, you know, they want to call it, that's fine. I, I think for Baylor, they actually can approach this because they did lose the doubles point. So I actually think it kind of works in their favor. They can really place a big emphasis on doubles and say, you know, Coach Woodson can say, hey, guys, look, remember, we just played Texas. They snuck up and they got us in doubles. We have got to focus and find a way to get this doubles point. 
I think they do that. Um, I I would be pretty surprised if Baylor loses another doubles point to Texas. Uh, I think Sven and Connie at the number one position are playing better now than they were uh, back on January 30th. So I think they can get a win. Um, Nick and Adrian didn't have a great match when they played against Chi-Chi and Peyton Holden um, in Austin. I think they can improve upon that. And, and Matias and Charlie actually won their match rather easily at number three. So if they can just kind of repeat what they did, I really like Baylor at the number three doubles position. I think they find a way to get either one or two and and win that doubles point and they'll be off and running professor take us to school yeah i think when we look at this match and you say it's a revenge match i honestly think the team that thinks it's a revenge match is baylor yeah i think (laughs) i think they look at the match like you know hey we got scared we shouldn't have been scared we should have won the doubles point it shouldn't have been as close as it was let's do what we were supposed to do the first time and take this these guys out much quicker than we did before. Uh, I don't see Baylor losing that doubles point again. I'm not sure where Texas, maybe they find a point on the board. It's I don't see them winning uh, down low. This match is not at at Texas. Uh, I, I mean, it's it I see a, I see just Baylor in a, in, in a route. Yeah. Look, Texas 7-1 and one on the year. They've played a good schedule. Wins over SMU, Florida, Arizona State. Uh, obviously, now again, you get a second look at Baylor here, although it is indoors this time. The first match being played outdoors. That does make a difference. Texas hasn't uh, played an indoor match this year, guys. Not one. Yeah. Very, very true. And so, you know, of course, for Baylor, you look for them, 9-1 on the year. We've talked about it. They've played Michigan, A&M, Texas, TCU. Uh, that is about as, you know, a tough four-match uh, it's not as tough. It is the toughest four-match stretch of any team across the country. They've played back-to-back days before uh, already against high-level competition, and uh, the roster is littered with juniors, seniors, upperclassmen who understand how to navigate a weekend like this, although I will say for people like Nick, for a guy like Charlie Broom, Spencer Furman, it's your first national indoor event. Nevertheless, second, uh, it should be— Second for, uh, uh, for sec- Nick and Spencer. Oh, they made round of 16 freshman year? Sophomore year, I believe, when it was in Seattle. Ah, okay, second. I apologize for that. Should have. That's, again, that one's on me. But, no, I mean, you look at the power UTR, the matchup, the power six. Baylor, a 79.65. Texas, a 78.54. Baylor, uh, by UTR, favored heavily at the th- uh, two, five, and six positions. 0.5 gaps there uh, or more. You look for Nick. He's 0.808, excuse me, over Cleve Harper. So, essentially, a toss-up now for the long cord. CM Waldy, 0.16 over Boyton, Broswell, 0.33, over Sven La. Let's get to our predictions, fellas. I'll start with you, Maddie. You're shaking your head at me as though I said something wrong there well, by listing numbers. Yeah, that's the thing, Gruskin. You always go back to that UTR. I just, I, I can't get with that at all. <laughs> I, I look at this four, five, uh, four, yeah, four, five, and six big time for Baylor. Nick pretty much destroyed Cleve Harper the last time they played. It was actually a little bit closer than it should have been. It should have been like a two and one, two and two type of match. He'll win that for sure. Uh, Charlie did have a tougher match with Chi Chi. You know, he wasn't playing his best. I I think he gets through in straight sets this time, and Spencer's the rock at six. I really like four through six big time. Heavily, I would favor Baylor. You know, screw the numbers. Uh, And really, even at one through three, I think, I mean, Baylor has a good chance to win 
all three of the courts, one through three as well, could be a little bit more difficult again. Number one, number three, you know, maybe some tougher matches, but, um, you know, again, I, I really kind of like Baylor on every court when you look at it. Chris? Yeah, I'm, I, I take Baylor in doubles for sure four five and six if if texas is even going to steal one there i think the guy that seems like he's been a little more susceptible has been charlie broom but i still don't see and, and that's probably a strong spot for texas down there playing playing chi chi there right but but even if they can get that one i, I don't see you know I, this is a spot where where we think baylor's susceptible at the top of the lineup I still favor them even over the Texas guys at the top. So uh, I, I just don't see how, how Texas will get it done. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe they get a, a point. I really don't see it being much more than a four, one match. Uh, so I'll, I'll take Baylor four one. You look up and down this Texas roster, Spaziri 14 and two overall. I think he played some fall events. Broswell 21 and two overall. He played at fall events. Harper 12 and five now. I think Chi Chi Huang's eight and 10, but four and one in the dual match season. Even McDonald seven and nine, but three and three in the dual match season. The problem is Baylor competes everywhere. And so does Texas. That's their, you know, they their similar strengths is Texas is going to put up a fight one through six in every match, and they can find their way to points here and there. But that's exactly the same recipe for Baylor. And I do agree. I think Baylor takes that doubles loss personally. I think they jump out and probably take the doubles point, and then to find four wins against them, that's really tough to do. I think this is a four-one battle. I do think Texas, even if it's Waldeeb or Spaziri, or even if it is someone in the bottom three, they're going to steal one for sure and they're gonna have maybe two three three set matches in this battle but just too much for the bears give me the bears to advance 4-1 quickly maddie and chris i do want to ask texas same deal this weekend when you look at them how do you think they're gonna fare hmm. could be a little I, bit i don't tougher. have any doubts what i think they're gonna do i think they're gonna go one and two i think yeah. they're gonna lose to baylor i think they're gonna beat illinois and then i think they're gonna lose their last match yeah, I, I mean, I'm there with Chris. I, I echo that. I I don't think I can – I would love to be able to make the case for them to go 2-1. and one. I just – I don't think I can do it with the strength of these teams that we have, guys. Um, you know, I, I think they could beat in Illinois for sure, but after that, it's tough sledding. Here's the thing. Third day, if you're the hypothetical Virginia-Tennessee winner, now you have to play a dangerous Texas team again – that's a freaking tough match. So I'm expecting, again, just a really good weekend from Texas, who I think we all agree one year away from being seriously in the conversation to win this title. Let's get to our final match here. Of course, again, top seed USC taking on number eight seed Illinois. USC thus far on the season, 7-0 and wins over UCLA, Kentucky being the big ones. Of course, they've played a bunch of California schools to try and sneak in as many matches as they can in the buildup to this weekend's event versus an Illinois team that we've talked about in the past. They get essentially a mulligan on their 2020 season. They were 5-6 and six last year, but they still bring back the dangerous core of Kovacevic, of Alex Brown, of Zeke Clark. Of course, you add in Monsi, Kwesi Kenyatta, the transfer from Valparaiso, Hunter Heck, Alex Banchilla. This team's got plenty of talent, and you look at their Power 6 UTR uh, in terms of how they rank by the number 78.71. That's certainly in the ballpark for a round of 16 team. Now, of course, they match up with the Trojans 
Trojans, who are an 81.08 by their power six. And, you know, Kukerman, Smith, Dostinich, Bolas, this was a core of a team that literally won this event last season. And so, Maddie, Chris, I think we, uh, we all feel similarly about this matchup. Let's start with the Trojans. How do you feel about them heading into this weekend even broader than how you just feel about them in this match? Yeah, I think they're going to beat Illinois for sure. I, I don't think we have any doubts about that. Just too strong up and down the entire lineup. But I am a little bit concerned, guys, that, you know, looking at USC's schedule, they haven't really been tested. Now, I know they played UCLA, a rival match, uh, back at the kickoff weekend, but you guys were calling that thing. I mean, UCLA was missing four or five guys, whatever it was. So, you know, that really wasn't even that much of a test, even though they lost the doubles point. Uh, they did play Kentucky today, which I think was a good match for them to play because, again, they were tested by a good Kentucky team, lost the doubles point, and had some battles in singles. So, you know, I don't know, guys. I mean, I they're a strong team. There's no doubt they can compete with anybody. But I, I, I'm a little bit nervous. Like, my confidence level isn't extremely high for the Trojans. I just don't think they played that many matches this year, enough good matches, um, and that could hurt them. Yeah, I mean – same question to you, Chris. We saw them 4-3 today against Kentucky. Sounds like some of the live scoring kind of flipped some scores back and close. Was this match as dangerous as it ended up feeling from afar? Maybe. I mean, but you look at this Trojan team. It's that they haven't really had all of their pieces together in one match, right? Today, there was no, I believe, Ryder Jackson or Destanich in their lineup on the kickoff weekend. There was no more bullets. And thankfully for Coach Macy, uh, who's going to yell at us for even that segment, Maddie. Like I know he's he say, is. Why don't you just I, cut? He's going to be like, why don't you just cut I know it? he is. Like, well, I, yeah, but I know. No, of course. Well, and if he doesn't hear it, Chris will snitch it to him. So don't worry. He's going to find it one way or another. But I mean, Chris, you talk about this team. It's a veteran team. They, we've seen what this six can do when they're all on the court together. How are you feeling about them heading into this event? Yeah. I mean, I still feel good. I mean, it's obviously a little concerning that they're already in Champaign, the match they played against Kentucky today was, you know, at at the University of Illinois, and we're only, you know, two days away from from starting the tournament, and we're missing Destanich and Jackson. To be honest, I'm not overly concerned about the fact that we that we're missing Ryder Jackson because I think when we get down to to where that part of the lineup, you got. Ryder Jackson, you got Bradley Fry, you got Jake Sands. I mean, I'm fine playing any of those guys, but just missing Destanich is a little concerning. So, you know, for whatever reason that that is, you know, getting a little rest, banged up, whatever, um, you know, that that could have an impact. And if they're missing him in in some of these matches coming up, that that's a that's a little more concerning. But all in all. They've stood. They've got the depth, right? They've still got guys like Fry and and Sands that aren't even playing that can step in. So I'm not I'm not overly concerned. Uh, I certainly think that they'll you know they'll be in okay shape taking on Illinois. Uh, then it just gets a lot more interesting when you get to Baylor the next day, and you want to have you certainly want the full complement when you play Baylor. No, I mean. 
look, I'll say this about this Illinois team and you know, again, five and six last year felt like every break went against them. They lose uh, in the kickoff weekend. I think it was to Ole Miss, and then uh, you know, for them that Duke match, just every third set went against them as well. And uh, you bring back a team where Alex Kovacevic, watching him yesterday, you just you see that forehand, you see the backhand, the power he possesses. That's a guy who can win any match at one singles against any team in the country. And then, you know, I'm telling you. Do not sleep on the number one doubles team of Kawaisi Kenyatta and Cephas Monsi because, you know, Kenyatta 6'8", lefty, hitting bombs. Monsi moving around the net. He makes every return on the body. They're really good. And then you can play Brown and Heck at two, put Kovacevic at three. Let's say hypothetically, and this is very, very hypothetical, you steal doubles. You steal one singles. Now everything, anything can happen. Now, of course, I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm just saying, for this Illinois team, doubles and the number one singles position, that's two points that they can win in any match this weekend. And once you put two on the board, uh, then certainly you're just in the mix. And so, again, don't be surprised if they get frisky, if they push a team 4-2, 4-3, knock someone off maybe. I think this Illinois team is very much looking forward to their opportunity for a mulligan. Now, I'm going to safely assume all of us think USC is going to advance. And for that, uh, for the sake of, again— uh, here our predictions. Let's move on now to some of our predictions. Let's talk about how we see this broader weekend unfolding. Let's talk championship match, who we have as the finalists. I'm going to make Maddie go first. Maddie, give me your predictions for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure we're going to see North Carolina, right? I mean, they're my favorite. I am going to pick them uh, to win the tournament. I just... They're so good. They're so talented. Singles, doubles, you name it. Um, I just think it's going to be hard to take four points off of off of North Carolina. Uh, so I will have them winning it coming out of that lower half of the bracket. On the top half, again, I think it comes down to Baylor-USC. And that's a match that I really want to see. I do think Baylor is stronger depth-wise. Five, six, I really like Baylor in those positions. Um, you know, doubles could maybe go either way. Obviously, I like Cookerman up top. But, you know, again, the way that Matias Soto has played this year, you know, Riley Smith hasn't looked great. I just I think that really could be a toss up. And you know what? I'll, I'll call it all. I'll, I'll, and, and again, I want this to happen, but I'm going to actually take Baylor in that match. I think they come out. They do beat the Trojans. I think it's super tight, but they get a win um, to go to the final and then end up losing that final match to UNC. So I'll take Carolina over Baylor in the finals. I was so certain you were going to say Baylor over Carolina. I thought you were going to be like the depth in the end, 5-6. They're going to win doubles, and then they're going to steal number three. Sven, or Sven's going to beat Seguin, something like that. I hope uh, so. But no, I, I hope I, that happens. That's that's <laughs> what I want to happen. Uh, but if I have to pick it, I'm not going to pick against North Carolina. No, so what I was going to say is I am I appreciate that you let your ethics guide you, that you're not going to let your heart get in the way of your head. That is why we're a perfect yin and yang here. And then we turn to the professor who tells us the math behind it all. Chris, finalists, champions, your predictions. Yeah, I actually think that what Maddie wants to happen is probably a, a very good possibility. Baylor could run the table here, um, but I can't pick it. And I can't even I can't even pick them over USC, uh, although I think it's very possible. I'm, I have to stick with Carolina and USC going to the final and Carolina 
getting the revenge from last year and winning that final match. That's that. That's what I would. That's what I'm going to pick. But like I said, if it's not one of those two, for sure, I think. Uh, I actually think Baylor probably has the next best shot uh, after those two. So here's why Virginia is going to beat North Carolina in the semifinals. No, I'm just kidding. I just want to make sure you guys were awake. I just wanted to make sure you guys were awake. Obviously, you are. Um, Look, they're all – I mean – the thing about these top four teams is it is literally pick a straw out of a hat. And I have to say, TCU, Virginia are going to do battle. I think UNC comes out of the bottom half pretty unequivocally. You look at that USC-UNC match. The thing is, they're also both teams that do things very similarly. And I like the Trojans a little bit more up top. And I like the Bears a little bit more on the bottom. And what does that come down to then? It comes down to doubles. And as good as Kukerman and Smith have been, and as shaky, with all due respect, as Sven and Connie have been, although obviously they're playing better tennis of late, I just think two and three doubles, the uncertainty for the Trojans heading into the weekend. I like Baylor to take doubles. And then I don't think either of these teams can win four singles against one another. I think it's a 3-3 split regardless of where those three are coming from. And so that is why that my inclination would be like you, Maddie, to take the Bears over the Trojans. Plus, they have been battle-tested so frequently. Yeah. But I'm going to lean so that so I'm going to lean that I'm going to go Baylor UNC in the final. I am also going to take the Tar Heels. I hate the group think, but just you know this gets us into our all tournament team, and I'm going to say my most outstanding player for this event I think is going to be Rinky Hijikata, who I say him and Seguin go undefeated at three doubles. I think he runs the gauntlet at number two singles, makes a big jump to his sophomore season, and he gets that all tournament number two singles selection. He is the most outstanding player with the breadth of thing. I'm just you know again we can get into our most outstanding players all tournament team. Now, that to me fits the narrative of a North Carolina victory. If they're winning, it's that they're getting wins and doubles from Blumberg, Cernok, and Kiger, Sondegard, and then obviously Hijikata and Seguin, I think, have to be the best number three doubles team, and I think they will be. And then I think they got to get wins, you know, from those top four singles positions. And I think Hijikot is going to be the guy to do it for them. That's my out- most outstanding player. Maddie, what say you? Most outstanding player. Uh, I got to go Blumberg. I mean, I, I, you know, you pick Rinky. I just, I don't know. I'll stick with Will. I, I think he's gonna, he's gonna roll like he always does. Uh, hopefully, he's feeling good, and and I think Carolina's gonna win the tournament. So um, I'll stick with Blumberg. I know that's kind of an easy pick, but I, I think it's the right pick. Chris, yeah, how you don't pick Blumberg? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I'll give you that. Maybe he hasn't you know been lights out uh so far but i mean this is indoors he's yeah, he's gonna be there he's the best player there well yeah here's why because i think there's a world where him and Cernok don't finish in doubles and i think hijikata and Seguin finish in doubles every time and it's gonna be like well rinky has six wins and will has five in total so let me give it to rinky and the edge but yeah i mean will's a great pick as well and i don't know if you guys made full all tournament teams i have mine we can run through them you guys can tell me what you think you can add in here we'll go matt then chris right away number one singles will blumberg yes, matt that's exactly yep. chris 
Yep. All right. Number two, Rinky Hijikata. Matt? I, I do agree. Um, I, I will say, though, I will say, I think it could be close between Rinky and Matias Soto. If Soto continues to play that he's the way that he's been playing, I wouldn't actually be shocked if he beat Rinky and maybe takes that number two position. But I think it comes down to one of them. I'll go with Rinky. Yeah, I, Rinky, I take. All right, number three, and this fits our narrative, by the way. I have a bunch of options. I have Dostinich, Van der Schulenberg, and Jong. Maddie, which way? Yeah, you I'm go? going Von der Schulenberg. I don't think he loses at three. That's a good. That's a good choice. Oh, Chris. I say Sander Jong beats him day one, and he's my guy at three. I kind of want to hedge my bets here and go Dostinich, but because he didn't play today, oh, I don't want to agree with you guys. If we had three different picks, that would be cool. I made this whole case about Dostinich, my guy, this season. I'll stick with it. Give me Stefan Dostinich at three. Sometimes you got to be intellectually consistent. That's how my intellectual consistency is going to manifest itself today. Number four singles, I think this comes down to two guys, Nick or Brian Cernock. Who are you taking, I think Matt? so, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'll take Nick because I think if we do get that matchup in the final, I, th- I think Nick can beat him. Uh, I think he'll be up for it. So I'll take Nick at four. Chris? <sighs> I know, I know, I know. I'll tell you the guy that I really want to take. I just haven't, we haven't seen him play is I want to take more bullets. <laughs> oh, that's a really good pick as well. I really wanted a Trojan in my so lineup. I, I think yeah. I, you know, I'm afraid though, A, we haven't seen him and B, not seeing Dostanich today. Like Bullis might have to actually play three, but I'm just going to have to assume that we see it as it is on paper right now. And I'm going to take Bullis from USC to be the guy at four. By the way, if not Dostinich, I will take von der Schulenberg at three. Um, I'm going to go Cernok because it's indoors. And I apologize to you know my family, Nick Stokowiak, but that's why I'm going to take Cernok. It sticks with the script, one, two, and four for UNC. But I think Nick could be a really good choice, obviously, as well. Number five, I've got Wiedemann or I've got Charlie Broom. Who do you have? I've got Luca Wiedemann. Yeah, I think this is going to be unanimous. Yeah, Chris. I gotta. You gotta take Luca Wiedemann. The guy's been lights out this year. Here's the thing: if Baylor wins, it means Charlie's playing really well. That's the scenario where he gets the all tournament team spot. I'm gonna agree with you, Luca Wiedemann. My pick for number five. Number six is interesting. I have either Spencer Furman from Baylor or whoever plays six for TCU. What's your pick? Oh, no, for sure. I'm going Spence. There is no way Spence beats anybody at six. I don't care who they put out there for TCU, whether it's Fernley, whether it's Kruger, Juan Martin, don't, don't care. Spencer Furman's going to be number six for sure. All right, Chris, man, I'm not, I'm not sold there, but I haven't picked a Baylor guy yet. Have I? (laughs) You might not have. I don't think I have. So maybe I have to, but I'll tell you the guys I'm thinking. I'm actually thinking about Westrate. I'm thinking about Harper and I'm thinking about Furman. So yeah, I don't think I've thrown a Baylor guy in there. So I'll, I'll go ahead and take Furman. That's a good pick. Uh, I need some TCU representation. Give me whoever lines up at six for TCU. The Horn Frogs belong in the all tournament team. I think that's the spot they get it. Now let's go to the doubles. One, two, and three. They're all tough. Let's start at the bottom. At number three, I have Hijikata Seguin. That makes sense to both of you? Yeah, I can't argue with that. I yep. cannot. 
Yep. All right. We'll pencil that in. Number two, I have either Monday and Prada, who have been sneaky good this year, or Nick and Adrian. Who do you have, Maddie? See, again, and I, I look at this, and it's so tough. You know, I lean actually Kyger Sondergaard, really. Um, I just – I think – Carolina one through three all of these teams would be worthy but uh my team's going to be a little bit different at number one so I'll actually take Kyger Sondergaard at two Chris I can't get away from Nick and Adrian I'll I'll take Nick and Adrian yeah I'm gonna take them as well I I just think it has to be them number one Blumberg Cernak, Kookie Monster Riley, Sven and Connie, Jong and Gray. There are a lot of great selections. Carl Soderlin and anyone. Uh, I mean, it's tough. This is always one of the tough positions. Honestly, it might just come down to who serves better on any given day. But, Maddie, who you Yeah, think? I'm going to go with Kukerman and Riley Smith here. I just think, Ooh. you know, again, there may be some questions for USC in, in the doubles at two and three, but I do not see that being the case at number one. I really like that team, and I, I think they roll through and win their matches. Chris? Yeah, I, frankly, Blumberg and Cernok haven't been great uh, so far. So I, I definitely, and in a perfect world, I'd say it's a toss-up between them and Smith and Kukerman. And given that, I'll take Smith and Kukerman. Give me Blumberg, Cernok. I'll just say this. They both remember that 5-4 lead very, very well. And that's why I'm going to take them to be the most outstanding team here uh, this weekend. But again, we are expecting a really, really fun weekend of action in Champaign. I will be live with Mike Cation all weekend long. You can find that coverage on the Illinois men's tennis website. You, I'm sure going to be able to find it on our various social media channels as well. We will do our best to do some sort of recap at the end of the day. It might be me. I know for a fact I, I already feel bad because I'm going to text Chris and it's going to be 11.30 p.m. Central Time. And he's going to be like, yeah, I'm up. Of course I'll do it. And I'm going to be like, Chris, like, come on. Like, you don't, you can say no. And he's going to be like, no, like, of course I want to freaking do it. Um, and so uh, in advance, I'm saying thank you to you, Chris, because I promise we're going to, I mean, we're going to go daily, right? Like, you'll be up. Uh, there's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. So we can lock that in now i'm happy to say that all right we'll lock that in for sure uh maddie obviously you have an open invitation as well and i want to start nope, with you i'll be thoughts? sleeping so do not text me at 11 30 p.m <laughs> central time you know where i'll be i will not respond to that message so if we're gonna do it it better be way earlier than that or maybe the next day uh when i wake up so uh yeah no guys i'm just i'm looking forward to this weekend gruskin your call and everything um, you know, I'll probably have your audio rolling and obviously Nick's matches on, on another screen there. So I'll be going dual, dual monitors, um, if I have to, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I think all these matches are going to be competitive and let's see, I mean, may the best team win. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. During the Baylor match, I'm just going to be like, let's go back to court four. And Mike's going to be like, why? It's a break. I'm just going to be like, let's go back to court four. Um, and I'm just going to keep saying it every three minutes. No, of course, again, looking forward to that. Chris, your final thoughts? Yeah, I, nothing other than I, I'm ready. I mean, gosh, we're less than less than uh, you know 48 hours away from the start. Let's let's. I can't get there quick enough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then with that in mind, a shout out to our super producers, Max Fleekner and Daniel Westhoff for the 
of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of our coverage possible. A shout out to our friends at DraftKings. We are well aware the Australian Open rocking and rolling to hear our picks for each and every day's action. Just go to G, uh, dkng.co slash cracked open and be sure to tune in to our GSP Ace of the Day segments for recaps. Be sure to turn into the mini break podcast as well. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, Matt Sikoya, Chris Heliors, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell everyone? Hey, hey. great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all this weekend. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>